I don't know many people who like to be misunderstood. That's not like a common desire of like, I really hope they misunderstand me today at work. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen. And as someone who my profession is talking in front of people, um, oftentimes they feel like if there's a tension or a conflict, it's preaching, I talk in front of people. Um, it's a mis- like, oh, they misunderstood me. They didn't, that's not what I was saying. Oftentimes in our relationships, so much conflict emerges out of misunderstandings. Like you can imagine like almost any sitcom ever um, is like they, someone hears something, but it wasn't what they wanted to say, or they hear this kind of passing information. Move, the misunderstandings are isolated. They are challenging. If only you knew what I was really trying to say, it would be okay. I had a professor once um, in a poetry seminar who wouldn't let us respond to our poems. And so we'd have to, we would go around in a circle in the poetry seminar, and you'd read your poem, and then you couldn't say anything until you moved on. And so you would say your poem, and then someone would be like, well, I think this first line has to do with this. And the, no, it doesn't have to do with that. <laughs> but, but you couldn't say anything. That was the point. If the, the exercise was to get you to, if you didn't put it in the text, it's not there. There's no behind the thing. Like, if you don't, when you're, which makes me think of conversations you have. If you don't say the thing you mean to say, you don't say it. It's not there, even if you intended to, even if you were trying to. But those, those moments can be isolating, can, can keep you away. Or even like the moments in, in faith, in the Bible, moments like the end of Psalm 137 can be like, whoa, I've never heard that in church before. Um, it's actually cut out of our hymnal, um, that last verse. It's not there. They cut it out. Um, and oftentimes I think that's because of a misunderstanding of this psalm, which I will get to in a little bit, but that kind of way of, so often we get to these, we just don't want to deal with those misunderstandings. We don't want to deal with a thing that's not apparent at first. My friends, we are continuing our series on the deep end, on those moments of life that overwhelm us, that make us feel like we are drowning, like we don't have things to grip onto. Today is titled Killing Prophets. But it really could be how, how you can be misunderstood. The Babylonians misunderstand the Hebrews. The Babylonians, they took over like, a lot, like 2,000, 2,500 years ago, Babylon invaded Israel and, and took over um, the kingdom of Israel. It fell, and they took a lot of Hebrew people over to Babylon. And so Babylonians speak Babylonian. The Hebrews do not speak Babylonian. So I want, I want to have that in your mind. So you're, you know, think about like, just an image of 25, you know, you know, 2,500 years ago, you know exactly what it looks like. Just close your eyes, you can see that place by the river. Um, this is one of the, the tricky things, because this song, uh, there's a, you know, a reggae song, by the rivers of Babylon. It's such a nice, happy-going song, and it's, um, they also cut out the last verse in that song. Um, but you have these people by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. And so they've been taking from, taken from their home. They're in a strange place, and they are crying by a river. That is the setting. That is what's going on. So we have people, and they're crying in a language that's different from the language that they're in. We sat and we wept. We hung our lyres upon the willows. We refused to play the music. So when you, when you hang up your lyre, when you hang up your guitar, like you're not playing music anymore. It's like, I'm done for the day. It's a, very, it's a very concrete act of being finished. 
for those who carried us away captive. Then they asked for a song. So then we have the Babylonians. They're like, oh, look at those cute Hebrews over there with their lyre hanging in a tree. Sing for us, Hebrews. Sing for us. That's what's going on here. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The language of Hebrew is intricately connected to worship, to the worship of God. And so when they're singing this song in Hebrew, it's singing a praise song. So it's imagine this, like, your, this captive people are asked to praise God by their captors in order to entertain them. If I forget you, oh Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its cunning. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O oh Lord, against the children of Edom the day of Jerusalem, when they said, raise it, raise it to its very foundations. So this is the song they're singing. The song they're singing to the captors that is not being understood, right? Like this is a deep misunderstanding. The Babylonians think the Hebrew people are there to entertain them. They're there to serve them and nothing more. Whereas the Hebrews are trying to figure out how can they be a people apart from the holy place? How can I be a people? How can I exist apart from Jerusalem? They're singing this song. O daughter of Babylon, marked for devastation, happy is he who shall repay thy recompense for what you have done to us. They're still singing. Happy is the one who shall seize and dash thy little ones against the rock. They're still singing this. There's such a stark dissonance there. This is one of those verses, again, that's often cut out of Bibles. It's cut out of hymnals. It's not mentioned. We don't want to think of God in the ugliest things, right? I think that's a big part of it. But that anger and that emotion, that desire of revenge that is real and concrete and human, And I think we misunderstand faith if we think that faith has nothing to do with those deep emotions. If we think that God is just for the happy, the good times. Because if God is only for the happy and the good times and those those happy songs, then our God is not the God of everything. Our God did not create us. Our God did not create us. We need a God who is with us in those times of sorrows, who hears our lament Jesus is also not understood. In, this, in the reading that Jim did, it has one of those, those very few positive Pharisee moments. The Pharisees came and said, get away from here, Herod wants to kill you. Which I think of as like, they're really being earnest. They, are, they think, Jesus, hey man, I know we disagree on a lot of things, but Herod is coming after you. You got to get away from here. It's like, yeah, let's agree that Herod's the bad guy, right? We're going we're gonna to do this. And Jesus is like, you guys don't understand it all. You have missed the point. And then he goes into this, this tricky metaphor. It took me a while to figure this out. So if it took you a while, don't worry. Um, go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are, sent to, who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen 
gathers her brood together under her wings, and you are not willing. So what Jesus is saying is Herod is this fox, and he, Jesus, is a mother hen. We have this nice little gender fluidity going on, that he is, he is trying to gather Jerusalem, and so the Pharisees don't understand that he came to protect them. But they want him to go away because they think that his greatest concern is the greatest concern of most people, how to get out of this world alive. That's, that's it. He thinks that they have, you know, most Pharisees, most people, most humans, if you go on the internet, that's the goal. It's like, how can I avoid death as long as possible? And if someone doesn't have that as their primary goal, they don't know how to fit it into the system. Wait a minute, you're a person who's not trying to get away from someone killing you as fast as you can? I don't understand how that can be. But Herod, Herod is the only one who properly understands Jesus because he sees him as a threat. That Jesus is not just trying to teach some nice lessons on life and to help people be more productive in society. Jesus is, is overthrowing the structures of this world. So all these, these deep misunderstandings that govern and, and challenge so often. We see this misunderstanding of of, of the Hebrew people. Are, are they just here for entertainment? Are they not allowed to be angry at being captive? So often we take away their, their ability to be angry when we take away the fullness and the depth of despair of this song. We're like, no, God doesn't want us to be that angry. It's not that they do it, but just that desire. We don't want them to have it. We want to take that away from them. <laughs> And then in, with, with Jesus, so often we feel like, or at least I do, speaking for myself, so often growing up, it's like, Jesus, why'd you have to do that? You know, Jesus, turn away from Judas. Jesus, don't go that way. Jesus, don't open that door. Um, as, if, as if he doesn't know what's going to happen. As if preventing that one thing to happen. As if I were putting myself in Jesus' place, and I would also not want to be killed and crucified. And that would not be good. And that kind of misunderstanding of Jesus. I think as we, when we get to ourselves today, I don't think we should be putting ourselves in the position of the Hebrew people. I don't think we should be putting ourselves in the position of Jesus. But there's a, a verse that's very, very powerful and very famous um, in circles that I've come across called Micah 6, 8. Uh, what does the Lord require of you to love justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God? And I want to read, read the full verse and see how this is another way so often that we misunderstand what God is seeking for us. So this is from the prophet Micah. With what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burned offerings? With year-old calves, will the Lord be pleased? With thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, son of man, what is good, and what the Lord requires from you. To seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, just like Jesus' call to the disciples when he says, lay down your nets and follow me, this simplicity of phrase points to a radical call. And we can look at it in a way that it's nice and could, like everything could fit. You know, love justice. That sounds nice. I love justice, right? I, I like mercy. Mercy's a cool thing. I'm not opposed to mercy. And I like walking humbly with my God. That means, you know, and so like almost any human act, interaction or action or activity can be fit into this. And I can rationalize and justify almost anything into this way. In a way to misunderstand what is being called. 
to seek justice. I think what if, what if to seek justice means to seek justice beyond seeking to avoid death? And I think that's what the gospel reading is getting to. What if we sought justice more than we seek to avoid discomfort, to avoid death, to avoid the things that the Pharisees assume about Jesus? What if we seek mercy? What if we love mercy? Mercy in the way of we love forgiving people who hurt us. We love, we love it when people hurt us, when people take from us, when people steal from us, because that gives us an opportunity to forgive them, which is greater. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've begrudgingly forgiven people in my life. That's probably the most of the time. I don't know of a time when I haven't begrudgingly forgiven someone. I don't love mercy in that way, but that is what the call is. To love it, to seek it, and to walk humbly with God. That means not staying in the same place and not blowing your horn about it. Um, for Lent, I have, um, for a random reason, I'm, going, I'm trying vegan for a little bit. And it reminds me of this incredible unfinished joke is what does a, per, like a vegan who does CrossFit, what's the first thing they say to you? Vegan or CrossFit? Um, thank you for laughing, Felicia. <laughs> you must not have met people who did CrossFit before because they never shut up about it. Um, this, they really don't. It's unbelievable. The same thing with vegans. Like vegans, like some drop into a conversation immediately. You know, it's the same way so often, like in circles I was raised in, like someone coming back from a mission trip is able to drop the mission trip. Every single conversation. Oh, did he? Oh, back when I was in um, the Congo, it was da 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 da. And it's like, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. The way of, like, that's the opposite of walking humbly with our God. But we as well live in a day and an age where it doesn't take much to be looked at as a prophet, as someone radically living their faith. In a time when the most faithful of Christians come to church 1.4 times per month, um, like coming to church two times a month is a radical step of faithfulness. Really. Like, and this idea of, like, wait a minute, you're going to, you're, why are you going to church? Why don't you just sleep in? Why don't you just, like, give your money to a charity? What are you doing with your life? What is it? Now, a lot of people may not say that to your face, but there are a lot of thoughts in our culture. Like, what is this? Is it the, the church? What do you do in your time spending there? Why waste your time with a dying organization? Why waste your time with people who are hurtful and judgmental? It doesn't take much to look like a prophet. You wake up one Sunday a month to do work corner, and you look like you have, you're this crazy, missionary-minded person with, with homelessness on your heart for ministry. We don't have work corner on, on third Sundays, but I think the people who participate in that ministry don't do so because they have homelessness as their principal goal in life. It's because they feel called that God to, to be in that space. And it's not because it's an easy thing. I don't know anybody who it's an easy thing for, um, who wakes up and does that, who wakes up at 5.30 and gets at the church at 6 and moves the tables around and goes downtown and sometimes gets berated for random reasons by um, someone who can't help themselves and offers food and, and tortillas and juice and all these things. It's not because God has, has given them a special gift to tolerate waking up early on Sunday morning. But in our day, it looks like a radical step of faithfulness. When I was at seminary, I had, a, I had a Prius, and it was one of the first early models. And I remember dropping a friend home, uh, or picking a friend up to take him home that day. And he was like, man, Wilson, you're really living your faith. 
And it's like, ah, because I, I, I don't see that as true. I didn't see that as true, but it's also, I was trying to be good. Am I, am I, how, how am I doing this? Because that's, that's missing the point. So often it's easy to miss the point of what God is calling us to do, of, of seeking justice, of loving mercy, of walking humbly with our God. These things cannot be monetized. You can't be commodified. You can't commodify seeking justice. And we have tried. 21st century America is trying to commodify seeking justice and make seeking justice a bumper sticker you can sell or a sign or, or something to put on your taxes or some kind of way that you are a, to know that you're a justice seeker, to have that identity. But that is not what Micah is talking about. You can try to commodify mercy. That's a little trickier. But usually it's by taking away the actual forgiveness from it. And that I like the idea of mercy, just like I like the idea of, of traveling around the world, nonstop, no, never mind, but that's, you know, I like the idea of lots of things, but the concrete action of mercy, you can't commodify it. Walking humbly with your God, you can't sell it. It's not this, here's this, here's a humble walking path for you. Here's a humble walking stick. If you take this stick, 999, take this stick. And you will be walking humbly with your God. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And so often we can get into this misunderstanding of faith and the call of faith that gets into these comparisons of these people are doing great over here. Or this person is really serving God over here. Or this person is living out their faith or not. And how am I to fit in? Thinking that, that some occupations, that some, some practices are more important to God than others or more giving than others or in this way dismissing other people and their actions and their practices dismissing them and this reminds me of this Oscar Romero wrote this thing about the worker and it's a dismissive view of human beings who see in a worker just the son of another worker there is no insignificant work all the baptized however humble they may be the campesino who earns his livelihood working with a machete is as great as the doctor with a scalpel in the operating room. Or the politician, if he knows how to make his work a service to the integral liberation of humanity. Whoa. That's a powerful phrase. That is, that is seeking justice. How do we make our work, whatever it is, our mundane life, our day-to-day -day life, our waking up in the morning, our coffee, our tea, our conversations, our jobs, our friendships, formed in such a way towards the integral liberation of humanity. And I think there's two, two misunderstandings that we need to let go of. One is that we are not the center of our own story. And we will never understand the world, we will never understand another human if we think we are the center of our own story. Because we cannot understand, we cannot read minds, right? Even the greatest psychologists, even the greatest people, you can't read a mind. It's, not, it's impossible. You look at someone, all you have is what they say, your experiences with them. You cannot see into their heart. And so if you are the center of your own story, everyone else is entirely opaque in this world. There are only different grades of misunderstandings. So if we imagine, if we take ourselves out, if we de-center ourselves from the life, and then 
The other misunderstanding, and this is the tricky one, and this is the one the Pharisees have of Jesus. What if avoiding death was not the most important thing in our life? What if we were not trapped by this mindset of what it means to be a human? That a full, long life, that a full life, or whatever this is, the ideologies that we are given, that that is our goal. If we are freed up, if we are decentered from our story, if we are freed up from fearing death, what kind of life can we have? What kind of life of seeking justice? What kind of life of loving mercy? What kind of life of knowing another human, not based on who they are, but based on their love of God, based on their seeking justice, based on their loving mercy, based on their loving walk, the ways of consonance in life, how we can live in such a way that our goal is not to be a lonely walker on the road. It's not to sell, like, to sell these isolated, humble walks with God, but to remember that everyone walking with God is gathered together. That Jesus doesn't call individuals. Jesus calls a body of Christ. And Jesus doesn't seek to save individuals, but the body of Christ, the entire world. For God so loved the world, not me, not you, not people outside, not people inside. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And we can be a part of that story. And in that story, we can find each other. And in, we, and in that story, we can find ourselves. In that story, we can lament to the brokenness around us. We can be angry for it. We see that anger in Psalm 137. There is brokenness in this world. There is something that needs to be fixed, and we can be a part of that answer. And remembering that God so loved the world. That there is not this gap, there is this not end point of God's love. It includes us, but it keeps on moving past us. We can be a part of that story and get away. We don't have to kill the prophets. We don't have to kill the prophets that tell us to wake up early on Sunday morning. That tell us to love mercy. We don't have to avoid our faith because it seems like a burden. We can take on more because God is with us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.